0: Daniel Day-Lewis, no one expected me to start a message saying his name, Daniel Day-Lewis, renowned actor, three-time Academy Award winner, best known for his extreme method acting. You guys heard of this method acting business before? It's, it's, when, it's when actors go about extreme measures to truly understand the character they're going to portray in a movie or in a play, often leading them to do just kind of crazy things. And Daniel Day-Lewis seems to be the king of the method actors. I want to give you some examples. He was in a movie in the early 90s, I think. I was like three, so I'm not sure if it was early, early 90s or late 80s or whatever, but Last of the Mohicans... You guys may have seen it. To prepare for his part, he lived in the wilderness for a month. And this isn't like an RV. This is like straight roughing it, learning on the fly how to hunt and skin animals and all this stuff to get into the mind of his character he was going to portray. For his role as Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln, he made every single person on set refer to him only as Mr. President. Steven Spielberg had to call him Mr. President. Steven Spielberg, the director. Hey, Mr. President. Hey, Daniel. He won't answer. He won't acknowledge him. Mr. President. Yes. He stayed in character for three months. For three months of your lifetime, A. Abe Lincoln walked this earth. Name was Daniel Day-Lewis, but there you go. Last one I'll share this time. Uh, Gangs of New York, to prepare for that, he played this brutal guy, and from back in the day, a period piece. He refused to wear his winter jacket <laughs> between takes in this seri- in the, in this movie because his character would never wear one of these modern down-filled jackets because they didn't exist yet. So he wouldn't wear it, and he was shooting in the dead of winter. Well, he caught pneumonia. He refused to take modern medicine. He almost died. He almost died all so that he could embody this character he was portraying. It sounds a little crazy, but it's earned him three Academy Awards. He's well known as one of the best modern actors of his day. He would really... Seek to get inside this character. Seek to understand the motivations and in the internal life. But we're in this series called "Follow Me," where we've been going through the Gospel according to Mark, one chapter at a time. We're in Mark 12 today, and we are seeking to to be like Jesus. Except Jesus is not some character. He's the savior of the world. And we aren't acting. We are seeking to have transformed lives as we long to love, live, and lead like him, the savior of the world. And to do that, we have to study in depth the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. That does not mean we have to don robes, take up carpentry, and embrace a Mediterranean diet. Though I think that's back right now, right? I look to the dietician, she says, olives is the way to go. No, thank you. It doesn't mean we have to go to those types of extremes, but it does mean to draw close and truly seek to know this person, this God. Jesus Christ. In fact, that is our lifelong pursuit, isn't it, as followers of Christ to seek to know him deeply. We know Jesus gives us all this invitation. One of the most well-known invitations Jesus has given comes in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, Come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And what does that say? Learn. From me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This invitation is most regularly mentioned to talk about an invitation to rest, which it absolutely is. But Jesus also, did you see it, invites us to learn from him? Learn from me. Learn from me. How do you learn? He says by being close, by submitting to him, placing his yoke upon you, and by following his lead. And that's what we're seeking to do together because Jesus Christ is the greatest that has ever lived, means he's the greatest teacher to ever live. And here in Mark chapter 12, he goes through the gauntlet of instruction and again shows the depth of his wisdom, his care, and his gentle and humble heart. So together, let us again allow that yoke to be upon us as we follow and learn from Jesus. Now, we're, we're going to touch on Jesus' specific teachings within this chapter, but the focus today is more so on the teacher than the teaching. We'll talk about the teaching, but it's mostly about the teacher as we seek to get a better sense of who this most amazing God and person is. So we're in Mark chapter 12. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. And we're going to kind of cover most of the chapter together today. And how does Jesus begin? By, by how he often teaches, which is through Parables. He begins in a parable with a man who plants a vineyard and and this man rented it out to some farmers who then treat the man's servants just horribly. He keeps sending servants to them and they increase in their mistreatment of the servants, even killing them. And so picking up in verse 6 from God's true word, Jesus says this in his parable. Oh, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? A son whom he loved, he sent him last of all saying, oh, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, hey, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, they killed him, they threw him out of the vineyard. So what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants, and give the vineyards to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, those were the ones he was talking to, looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Okay. So Jesus is the smartest person to ever walk this earth, and he speaks this profound truth through the power of story. This parable, like all parables, have these layers of meaning to them kind of like an onion, like that. Hey, that's a Shrek thing. (laughs) But it's there. There's these layers with profound truths of meaning to his parables, but only one willing to hear it will come to grasp the truth. Now, even though you know it would drive us all crazy, Jesus is shockingly patient with these people shockingly patient and willing to teach even those who are plotting to kill him. This parable he's given to the people are the same people we talked about last week when we talked about, they're the ones who questioned Jesus's authority. It's the, it's the chief priests, it's the elders, it's the teachers of the law and they're in the temple and they are, they are coming with their full frontal assault to try and trap Jesus. And so this is a continuation of all of that. Jesus very easily could have dismissed them. He knows they're not going to receive what he's going to say. He knows that. And even still, he is faithful to his call to teach and try and draw people into the truth. We also know Jesus doesn't like to give all the answers, does he? In fact, it's actually pretty rare that he will answer questions uh, directly. Instead, he'll offer a question or he'll speak in parables as he does here. Which, parables can be so frustrating, can't they? Yeah, they can be so frustrating. But when you dive into them, they are such a gift. They are such a gift. Because Jesus wants us to really chew on these things. To, to work it out for ourselves. To, 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 to really seek to understand. We know that's how learning takes place, right? I mean, think about school. Can you imagine if uh, Mrs. Durian got up to instruct her class and she she gave a problem and she asked a question and then just immediately gave the answer and that's it? And that's all teaching is. You think those kids are going to learn much? You don't learn by answers. You learn by learning and seeking the answer and learning how to come to those things. And here Jesus is longing for us to chew on these stories, to understand them, to learn what they mean. In this particular parable, Jesus speaks of a son who is loved and is then sent and killed. And we kind of get who he's referring to, right? He's referring to himself. He's saying this, of course, to the very people who have been plotting his death, who, again, they sound like a broken record, uh, so they plotted to arrest him, right? They're trying every which way to trap him. And this time they actually pick up on what Jesus is putting down, at least a little bit. They're aware enough to recognize that this parable is directed at them, but they're not humble enough to receive its instruction. I mean, you think about it. Jesus, he he cites here Psalm one eighteen. This is a psalm they would have known. This was part of their Bible. They would know this psalm. He cites Psalm one eighteen, and and he's connecting himself with the one who is rejected. He's connecting himself with the one who has become the cornerstone. Cornerstone. That means it's the most important part of the church. It is. He is the foundation. He's the one that holds it all together. And they hear that. And yet they ignore then the warning Jesus gives. Because you heard that parable. If they're the ones representing the tenants, after the son is killed, the one who sent the son will enact his vengeance upon them. But they didn't pay attention to that part, did they? You would think that would draw them to action to, to think about this a little bit, to maybe repent of what's going on. But no, they're aware enough to take offense, but they're not humble enough to receive the message. They don't repent of their work. They don't repent of their role. And they don't turn toward Jesus, but walk away again. So considering ourselves, we think about this. Are we humble enough? to truly receive the teachings of Jesus? Because we can hear teachings, we can understand teachings, but if we're not humble to receive teachings, then what good does it do? Nothing. If his heart's a gentle and humble, then how's our heart? Because we're seeking to be like him. Are we willing to do the work to understand his teaching, to take the things that, that hit us and sit with it instead of run from it? Are we willing to let the layers of truth seek into us to bring about life change and to be humble enough to receive it, teachable enough to let the Spirit change us? Because a gentle and humble teacher demands a humble response. If we don't accept his direction, if we believe we're too pride, if we're just too prideful to sit at the feet of Jesus regularly to, to truly chew on his teaching, then we run the risk of just rejecting him exactly like the chief priests, the elders, and teachers of the law here do. But none of us want that. None of us want that. But when you talk of rejection, think about Jesus because we're keeping our eyes on the teacher. He faced so much rejection. Like whatever you dealt with in middle school and the rejection you encountered in middle school, is nothing compared to Jesus's rejection. Maybe y'all weren't rejected a lot in middle school. Maybe it's just too raw to even think about. (laughs) We got some soul work to do, I guess. (laughs) Good thing we're here. Jesus faces rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, rejection, all from people he deeply loves. He faces rejection, but he never crumbles. He is the cornerstone. He is strong. He is steadfast. He is unshakable. He is a sure and firm foundation. If you follow Jesus, the world will reject you. The world will not understand you. The world will judge you. But remember that they rejected him first. And he did not crumble. And after his death, he rose victorious That means that you too share in the victory. You too are victorious. God does not reject you. The world may reject you, but God never will. He went to the cross for you. He loves you to the very end. He accepts you. He adores you. And he invites you to come to me. Learn from me. Be like me. Follow me. And so this very Jesus, when he was done with the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, we have another encounter of Jesus with the Pharisees and the Herodians, again coming to trap Jesus. They came to him, they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. They brought the coin. They asked him, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And here we get a glimpse at the character of Jesus. Because even his adversaries, get this, know his true character. Now, they are obviously coming with this fake and obnoxious flattery. And Jesus sees right through it. They don't believe at all what they are saying. Right? Right? but everything they say is actually true. You are a man of integrity. You're not swayed. You are steadfast. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. (laughs) All true. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And even after this teaching, even though they don't like him, they're amazed at him, probably because he found a loophole in their trap, right? (laughs) It's not a loophole. It's, it's wisdom. It's the wisdom of Jesus. His character does not sway in the face of significant division, pressure, obnoxious people, or his enemies. This question of taxes, we have a hard enough time talking about taxes, right? That's been going back forever. This question of taxes was a heated difference of opinion between the Pharisees and the Herodians but they dislike Jesus together enough to join up on that. Isn't that interesting that even though there's polarizing topics, but there's other things that we didn't agree on, like hatred of Jesus here they agree on? And so they want to trap him because either way, whether he agrees with you or with me, we got him. The difference of opinion was Pharisees wanted nothing to do with paying taxes. They didn't want to give Rome anything. They wanted, They did not want to be under their rule. The Herodians did not mind paying the taxes. So polarizing topic. Jesus knows all of this, but his character is steadfast. He is indeed a man of integrity. He isn't swayed, he is infinitely wise. As the cornerstone he doesn't sway to the blowing winds of the world or whoever talks loudest or most obnoxiously, he's sure. His character, even his love, it's unflinching no matter the circumstances. Character and integrity. Two two highly important words. It's holding fast, even in the face of great pressure or division. Remember, Jesus is the blueprint for all of us to follow. We're longing to live and to have this Christ-like character. fact, our daily question ought to be, who would Jesus be if he were me? So consider who you are. So if Jesus were, you know, a, 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 a five, eight little man up here, <laughs> married to Meg with three kids who seem to always be sick. Uh, Crosby's been sick again, by the way. <laughs> He's not here today. He's doing better. How would he care for Meg? How would he parent these kids? How would he handle the word of God? How would he care for this flock? How would he handle all these things? Insert yourself in there. If he were you, who would Jesus be? Because that's who we all ought to aim for. Another way to ask that is, how do we put on the character of Christ? And to start us on that path, we can, of course, turn to his true word. Last week, we looked at Colossians 3, uh, 15 through 17 to talk about the peace that surpasses all understanding because God is in control over and above all things, that even in the hardest, most gut-wrenching moments of our life, there's still a peace that can surpass that. Well, today, we look at what comes right before that to consider how we position ourselves to be able to even receive that peace. How do we put on the character of Christ? Paul wrote this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in a perfect unity when we clothe ourselves like christ that's not putting on the robes and the sandals of the day like daniel day lewis would do but as christ followers when we clothe ourselves like christ we experience the peace of christ as our external being what we do and our internal being who we are are aligned and grounded and found in him it is having an integrated life. That is a life of integrity, an integrated life where our external and our internal are in full alignment, a life in alignment with the one who created us. Following Jesus is a complete way of life. He is our way of life. And as we learn more about him, as he trans form us, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when we ask the question, who would Jesus be if he were me, we start to have an idea of who he would be as we learn about him. Inner or outer, what we say, what we do, what we believe, how we act, why we act, how we act, it is all as much as what we don't do as what we do, and as much as what we believe as well as what we reject and how we go about our day-to-day lives in the face of challenges and challenging people. May we have a heart of mercy, have a kindness, a humility, a gentleness, a patience like our Savior as we bear with one another and we forgive one another and we accept and receive the forgiveness that God has given us. All these things that Christ did to the fullest measure and how we're called to live. May we clothe ourselves like Jesus. That means everything in our lives must flow out of us seeking to have a Christ-like character. That world that will hates us, views us as hypocrites. Us as Christ followers have given far too many examples of why the world can say that, but we know none of us want to be that way. None of us seek to be that way. And we, there's others that represent our body, right? And there's sin in the world. But we don't want to be known for that. We want people to see us and they'll know our brokenness, but they'll also see the one who makes us whole. We want them to see us and see the Savior who gave us this life. We want them to see us and see a character that is different than what they think they ought to see when they look at a Christian that they're supposed to hate. And so we need to follow in the Jesus way. Everything in our lives must flow out of seeking to have a Christ-like character. So polarizing topic or not, difficult conversation or not, hard job or easy job, Christian friends or non-Christian friends, we live a life grounded in the character of Christ there is no such thing as a part-time christian only fully devoted followers of christ and over all these things we put on the perfect bond of love which holds it all together have you ever glued something you didn't mean to glue and you couldn't get it unglued like that strong epoxy or super glue or gorilla glue and you oh man have you ever had gum in your hair Have you ever had something so stuck you can't unstick it? That is love. It's the love that binds it all together. It is stronger than any Gorilla Glue or gum. It will hold it all together because you can't have mercy without love. You can't be kind without love. You can't have true humility without love. You can't have Jesus and know Jesus without love. And Jesus embodied this. He is love. And he teaches the importance of this. Because the next section, verses 28 through 34, deals just with this. There's a teacher of the law who is watching and witnessing how Jesus is talking to all these people. And he is captivated. And he has his own question. And so he comes to Jesus with this question. It's the question on his heart. He goes, God, Jesus, there are all these commandments. But which of them is the most important? So picking up in verse 29, Jesus says, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second's this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What happens but the man is rightly amazed and agrees with Jesus. And Jesus replies, Oh, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. And the whole crowd's amazed and no one asks another question. I'm not sure why. That'd be something to unpack another time. But you're not far off from the kingdom of God. The man's not far off indeed. He knows the concept He seems to have an openness to receive Jesus more so than the other teachers of the law. So he's being postured to to be transformed by the truth of Jesus. He's learning in the knowledge of Jesus. He needs now only to see that the love of which the commandment speaks is standing directly before him. Because Jesus embodied this greatest commandment. Jesus is love defined. He calls us to this love. The love of Christ is the love that binds all things together. And how he calls us to live is bonded and hinged upon the call to love our God, the one true God, and to love others with everything we got, with that same strength of love, just as Christ Jesus has loved us. Who are we to think ourselves better than our Savior? by choosing not to love all when he loved all to the very end, giving his life. So is God first in our lives? Is he first in our lives? Is he the one God, the Lord of our life? And do we have a deepening love for God? Not just for God, but also it pours out into our love for others. And doesn't just pour out for others, for for who he made you to be and how he crafted you to love him and to serve him and to be a light in this world. Because he made you uniquely. Each of us has been made uniquely to uniquely live out this greatest commandment to love God and one another to embrace what we call the platinum rule, which is Jesus' instruction to love one another as he has loved us. And so our Savior, who is gentle and humble in heart, he gives this teaching. But then he follows it up with a word of warning. Don't just follow the commandment. At the heart of love is a heart grounded in Christ. And if Christ is gentle and lowly, we must watch out as he instructs because in our humanness, in our tendency towards sin, we can quickly fall back on pride, and love and pride are incompatible. Jesus says, as he taught, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at the banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for a show they make lengthy prayers. The men, these men, will be punished most severely. And then Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Jesus calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Hey, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. They put in their dollars, she put in her heart. And we see how authentic Jesus Christ is, how caring and compassionate he is, how aware he is. The Jesus you read about, the Jesus we sing about, the Jesus we pray to, he is who you see. There is no second guessing. He says what he means, and he is only about the Father's business. He has nothing to prove to anyone. He holds all authority over and above all the creation, and yet he is gentle and lowly in heart, and he calls us to learn from him. He instructs and invites others into this authentic heart level of living. So do we live deeply? Do we live deeply, not on the surface, but from the depths of our being? The depths of who God made us to be? How deep does our faith penetrate? Is it just on the outside or is it all of us? Because as we see here with the widow, he exalts and lifts up the lowly. He doesn't care about the outward expressions if it doesn't align with your heart. He sees what no one else sees. That means he sees your acts of faithfulness. He sees you longing to be more like him. He sees your struggle. He sees your heart's desire and your way you are trying to follow him. And he pulls those around him and says, look, look, that's one I love. He knows what's in the heart. And that also means he can also see through all the hypocrisy. He sees through every act we put on. He sees through the religiosity and going through the motions that we as cultural Christians can be so good at. He sees us at a heart level. So in those two, what's our our choice? Is our heart grounded in Christ? Because we live for him. We live for him. And so we end with what? peter wrote in second peter where he told us therefore dear friends since you have been forewarned be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but what will we do but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen That is our prayer. That is our prayer that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, the one who sees you, sees your struggle, who looks with you with nothing but love in his eyes for you. There's no greater gift in this world than the created drawing closer to the creator. May we all draw close to this most amazing Jesus, take his yoke upon us, and learn from him who is gentle and humble. heart. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for sharing your heart with us. We thank you for inviting us to learn from you, to be yoked to you, to follow you. We thank you for being a shining example of what it means to be human and the most clear example of who you are as God. Do your work in us now through your Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed more into your likeness. The rough edges within us, may you sand away. The darkness within us that we long to stay away from, may you bring out into the light as it's met with your grace confusion within us, may you bring your peaceful answers and the assurance that truth is found only in you. At the heart of it, God, we long to follow you, to have a character like you, to be authentic like you. So may you have your way in us, not just now, but this day, this life. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.